All right, tomorrow is Thanksgiving, and you're probably getting all prepared, or maybe you're traveling. And today we're going to give you a fun episode where we're going to give you some interesting, fun facts about Thanksgiving that you probably didn't know. Because I'm going to tell you right now, Massachusetts has been lying to all of us, and we're going to expose them for the subpar commonwealth that they actually are. Plus, we're also going to talk about some fun Thanksgiving traditions, which, again, are a little bit outside the norm. Yep. I think the guys actually have some uh, some comments they're going to make about certain things that must be present at Thanksgiving, or they're just not at all thankful. All of that coming up on this episode. <laughs> we appreciate you joining us. A few weeks ago, Christian and I got together to discuss what episode of our program, The Why Minutes, we were going to do the day before Thanksgiving, and so we knew it had to be Thanksgiving-related. And Christian brought up this story that I thought was just fascinating. And I thought to myself as well that if you heard this story, maybe you would have something interesting to share while at the Thanksgiving table. Uh, And it actually has a uh, conservative message to it. Uh, So I think you'll like it. And I think I'm going to hand it over to Christian to start start us off with this Thanksgiving story. Okay, so... We're just going to get right into it, right? We are. around, kids. Okay, so as as Nick alluded to, um, the first Thanksgiving was not actually held in Massachusetts. It was held in Virginia. First Thanksgiving of an English colony. English colony, right. I mean, because technically, and this is something that I was making fun at Nick at about, is that Florida gets the distinction for the first Thanksgiving in the United States, not Virginia. That's a Spanish colony. Um, But yeah, they don't don't get the credit because they're a Spanish colony, not an English (laughs) colony. But... um, one of the things that I was doing when I was working up this Y Minute, and by the way, feel free to check out the Y Minute on yep. Jamestown. Um, this is this is the story of not really just Jamestown. It's actually the story of like the, the first English colonies in the United States or what would become the United States is that, well, for starters, I think that one of the fascinating components of this is that there's actually some political elements that you can take out of this that apply to really this wider podcast. If you're listening to this podcast, you're probably a conservative, right? You probably support free markets and property rights. And there's definitely some components of Man, the Man, you're story. giving away the end. There's No, I'm, I'm <laughs> teeing it up. I'm teeing it up. Um no, look, here's the end. The end is, is that the Roanoke colony vanished because aliens came along <laughs> and, and, and captured them all. Okay, no, okay. Let, let, let's set up the story. So it's the late 1500s, right? Okay. Um, it was about 100 years prior that Columbus stumbled into the Caribbean islands around Jamaica and, and the Bahamas and thought it was Japan. Um, spent his whole life, actually, fun fact, thinking that he had discovered Asia. He had never really realized that it was a number, another continent. It wasn't until quite a, t- a time later that um, Spanish explorers really discovered, hey, this isn't Asia. This is a whole other continent. So about 100 years after Columbus... Um, the Spanish had really been the only ones that had been setting up camp in the Americas. The French and the British had really been too busy, well, staring across each other across the English Channel. But um, following, you know, the the chaos of like the War of the Roses and the disintegration of the English government during the late uh, 1400s, the um, English crown under the Tudor dynasty finally came around to, hey, maybe we should actually like pay attention to this whole America thing that was discovered about 100 years prior. So um, there were a couple of uh, English businessmen that got together. Um, they collected some people that were willing to be colonists, and they sent them over to what became North Carolina many centuries later, um, and they established what was called the Roanoke Colony. And this is at this point in the 1580s. And... It all things seemed to be working for at least a few years. There was about a hundred colonists that were living there. It was a very tiny fort on a an island in the the far far eastern part of Banks. the state. 
um, basically near the Outer Banks. And long story short, a uh, supply ship went back to England to go pick up more supplies because this is obviously the very beginning of establishing a colony in the New World. It's very hard for it to be self-sufficient. Yeah. At the very beginning, it needed a constant influx of supplies, and it wasn't like they were going to get it from the Spanish, right? So this ship had to go back to the um, British Isles to pick up more supplies and then come back. And when they came back, literally everybody was gone. Um like literally totally everybody Irish goodbye vanished like like vanished into thin air um the the colony itself just abandoned um some of the houses have been dismantled um but other than that there wasn't really much of a sign of like a struggle there wasn't really a sign of like a big battle there wasn't like any guns left behind or arrowheads or axes or anything there was there, there was no bodies there was nothing um there was uh some stuff carved into a tree um Croatan and spelled incorrectly. Um, but it, it was it was either and actually twice, and then there was the the first there was Croatan that was carved into a tree, and then there was Croat um that was carved into another tree, like the beginning of either a local Indian tribe or a neighboring island. And so there was a belief among contemporaries and later historians that the colonists had either been a attacked by a local Indian tribe, B integrated into a local Indian tribe because the colony might've failed while it was waiting for resupply or B had relocated to an Island that shared a similar name. So like those were kind of like the three theories. The fourth one is aliens. Um, <laughs> I, I just want to point out that if I was afraid of dying, I would not be too worried about my spelling. <laughs> Fair point. Right. But, uh. but like, the the point is is that like when um when this uh supply ship came back like there there really was like no clear sign of like what happened to these colonists and it, it's probably one of the most famous i i mean it's kind of fallen by the wayside but but in the grand scheme of like american history it's probably one of the more famous like disappearances in american history it's it's you know a very famous unsolved mystery and fast forward, so that's why, like, technically Jamestown is not the first English colony. It's the first successful English colony. Because okay. um, Roanoke predated it, but it obviously failed. Um, or if Good it did, job, North Carolina. Yeah. Uh -huh. North Carolina could have gotten the distinction of being the first <laughs> in the nation. But it, it, um, yeah, do better, Hamilton. But yeah. um, <laughs> Hamilton's from North Carolina. But so, like, that was the first attempt. Failed. Sure. We don't really know why it failed, but it did fail. Fast forward about 20 years later, and then there was another attempt that was made, and this time it was in Jamestown. So many, many people in the U.S. obviously grow up, and when they're in, like, elementary school or middle school or high school, they learn at least a little bit about Jamestown, even if they don't live here in Virginia. We obviously, like, I, growing up in the public school system, learned a lot about Jamestown mm -hmm. in Virginia because it was my home state. But even if you're living in California, you probably at least have heard the phrase Jamestown. But the story of Jamestown is actually a lot more fascinating than you've probably been told in the public school system for a couple of reasons. One, Jamestown, I think, completely refutes the entire left wing narrative when it comes <laughs> to like, you know, collective ownership, collective ownership and property rights. And B, um, for about two days, Jamestown went the way of Roanoke. Um, and it was only by kind of like a miracle that the colony actually. Wait, what do you mean two days? For two days, the yeah. colony did it cease to exist? Yes, it ceased to exist for two days, um, and then it came back. And aliens, <laughs> yes, <laughs> but like, so everybody kind of instinctively knows, you know, that in the early 1600s, the colony was set up. 
you know, along the banks of the James River, on the Virginia Peninsula, you know, near the end of the Chesapeake Bay. It wasn't quite on the Chesapeake Bay. It was a little bit further upriver, heading towards what would become Richmond later on. Obviously, Richmond didn't exist at the time. It was set up on a little tiny island. It was actually, in many ways, a terrible position. Like, there was just mosquitoes and, like, malaria. It was kind of swampy. The Indians had not colonized it themselves because it was such a terrible position. But even though the the position of Jamestown kind of sucked, it did have a lot of resources in the form of there was ample fishing, there was a lot of game to hunt. So, like, there was ways for the colonists to feed themselves. But within just a few years, I mean, the colony almost failed repeatedly. The first time it almost failed was because there were a bunch of, like, English gentry that were uh, moving over there, a bunch of gentlemen farmers that didn't actually know anything about farming that went over there because it was set up by the Virginia company. So you had a lot of like shareholders of the company that thought that they were, they were there to get rich, man. Like they were just there to go find gold like the Spanish did in the, uh, in South America and then bring it back to England and then retire wealthy, even wealthier than they had been before. Like they weren't there to like establish a new civilization. And so like all these people came over and they had no marketable skills whatsoever. Their skills involved telling servants what to do all day long. Mm. Um, they didn't know how to like plant. They didn't know how to hunt. They didn't know how to build. They didn't know how to do anything other than search for gold. And spoiler alert, there was no gold in Jamestown. <laughs> this wasn't there's like, no, there's no gold in a swamp. This wasn't Mexico uh, or Peru or anything yeah. like that. So, <laughs> so like it, it almost failed completely outright because the people that went over at the beginning just were not the type of people that were supposed to be, you know, setting up a new colony. And John Smith came in and basically set things straight and was like, if you don't work, you've pro you probably heard this too, like in school, the whole, if you don't work, you don't eat. Like that's another component about the story of Jamestown that the public school system will tell you, which is really amazing. I'm surprised they haven't taken that out of the curriculum <laughs> yet. Um, but like the problem was, is that Smith, now, now shocker, wait, wait. the Disney movie's not accurate. <laughs> right. Um, now you were saying that the Jamestown colony disappeared for two days yeah. what happened there so fast forward many years after smith because this is like in the early days so now yeah. fast forward a few years later to like 1610 because smith is around in like 1607 89 that time frame so now fast forward a couple years later now it's like 1610 the colony's now grown to about 500 people more people have come over there's been more supply ships that have brought up brought it over it's been it's been up and running for a few years now and now the population of the colony is hovering around 500 to 550 people. And in the span of one winter from 1809, uh, sorry, from, from 1609 to 1610, the population of the colony went from about 500 people to 61. Wow. Wow. Um, that now, is why a, is that? What that's happened? a drop of 80% uh, in about six months. And what happened was is that literally almost every single one of them starved to death. Now, there was some disease and stuff like that, but overwhelming majority of the uh, population loss was attributed to starvation. <laughs> um, there's whole books actually written about this time period. It was it was like the most dangerous time period in the entire history of like English colonization of the New World other than Roanoke, which failed outright. And for a brief moment, it looked like that Jamestown was just going to be wiped off the map because nobody had any food. Yeah. And we might actually get into later on why nobody had any food. But to complete the story, mm -hmm. what happened was is that a supply ship showed up again, discovered, oh, my God, 440 people died in the last six months. How on earth did this happen? They find out that everybody's basically like a skeleton walking around, those, those that are still alive. 
Um, and then they make the decision. By the way, this supply ship has new colonists yeah. too. You know, they're supposed to come along. Can you imagine showing up and being like, "Uh, can they're I like, go? We're yeah. going I'm to just the new go world. Back. This is going to be great. So like, I'm good." The people that are supposed <laughs> to be offloading on the ship are like, "I don't want to come here. Everybody just die. Eighty for there's an eighty percent mortality rate." The people that are still alive are like, oh, thank God you're here to save us. <laughs> so long story short, they made some deliberations and shockingly, very quickly, they decided, you know what? This is just going to fail outright. Let's just load everybody back on the ships and let's just go home. So everybody got back on the ships. The people that were supposed to drop the supplies off and move in, as well as the people that had already been living there and had survived the previous six months of starvation, they all boarded a bunch of ships and they just were like hightailing it out of there. They literally just abandoned the colony outright. They went full Roanoke, except this time it was you know, them going home, not There's vanishing some, in a thin air. There were a few survivors. Yeah. And um, they were just going to leave it, um, just desert Jamestown. They got on these ships. They started sailing down, down the James River or sailing. Well, yeah, sailing down the James River into the Chesapeake Bay. And they ran into another supply ship, a couple supply ships that were coming up the river. It took them a couple days to get down the river. So it was two days of them traveling down the river to get into the Chesapeake Bay. And then they were going to get onto the open ocean and go back to um, the Kingdom of England. And while they were leaving Jamestown, they had left two days earlier. They were sailing down the river. They ran into another supply convoy that was like, what the hell are you doing? You need to turn around. We have all these goods and people that are going to like rebuild the colony. Turn around. And they had this like big debate over like whether or not they should go home so they or were like on their two boats having they this debate. They literally ran into each other like on the river. Like right. there, nobody was on land at this point. Like they, pull over. Yeah. <laughs> they, 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 the, the ships were leaving and they ran into another series of ships that were going up the river to, you know, s supply the colony that they thought was still in operation, but hadn't had been abandoned. Two would days would before. that have been a collective decision on behalf of everyone, all of the colonists or were there leader, was there leadership there, involved? There were leaders involved. In fact, when they decided to turn around, there were some people that were like really upset about it, but they were able to be convinced to turn around because there were uh, there were enough food supplies and stuff like that and people that actually had skills okay. <laughs> um, to convince them that they could try this again. And many people understand that a lot of these people had invested like their whole life right. into doing this. And so it wasn't like an easy decision to leave in the first place. A lot of people left not because they really wanted to leave, but because they genuinely thought that it had failed. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, imagine you spend years of your life collecting the money and resources to go over to the new world to establish a name for yourself and and become successful and i don't mean successful like go find gold right like right. how the original colonists thought they would i mean successful like make a name for yourself and you know start a farm for yourself and have access to opportunities that you didn't have previously in england itself sure. and imagine going through all that work and spending years and then you almost starve to death right Right. And many of your family members probably starve to death and you just feel defeated and you want to give up and go home. Like it's a soul crushing experience, but they were convinced to turn around and go back. And so that's why so, for two days, Jamestown had vanished. Obviously, we are aware that they turned around and were successful because we are all sitting here. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, we would well, not specifically be. it wasn't at Jamestown. It was at the Berkeley or what is now the Berkeley Plantation So that they had this first Thanksgiving ceremony. Yeah. Yes, yes. Cr yeah, Christian, the they, they turned around, they went back, and they tried this again. What was different this time, and why did they succeed? So the new governor, Thomas Dale, um, had really just kind of brought the old John 
Smith playbook out from the dust that had been forgotten a few years earlier. And he was like, uh, no, we need to go back to the basics of guess what? If you want to eat, you need to work. But you know what? Here's the difference. We're not just going to have you work for the Virginia company. We're going to have you work for yourself. Okay. So Thomas Steele went out there and he allocated plots of land to the survivors as well as the new colonists that had shown up. And he said, you get three acres. You can do whatever you want with those three acres. But guess what? You're responsible for feeding yourself. The only tax that you have to pay is one month of service to the colony itself. The, the other 11 months of the year, you are free to build your own livelihood and, and, and thrive or fail on your own. So before this, were the agricultural efforts a collective effort? Yeah, it was very similar to, in some ways, eerily similar to the collectivization of agriculture that you saw in the Soviet Union and in China, oh, wow. actually. It, not Which nearly, also failed. Oh, (laughs) failed so bad. We actually did another Why Minute on this about how uh, a shortage of sparrows killed over 50 million people in China during the the Great Leap Forward, which was a giant collectivization of agriculture. But and maybe that's a whole other story. If you guys haven't seen the Why Minutes, please go and visit that channel and you can search it on YouTube and Facebook. Very short videos. They're about three minutes long on average. And uh, we try to pack as much information. They're really good. Yeah. Well, the the other thing that I think is interesting about the, the first Thanksgiving in Virginia Right. Again, to all of our friends in, in Massachusetts, their Commonwealth, whatever. Um, L- Lydia it, is smiling. Uh, yeah, Every, no, yeah, everyone, Lydia, Lydia is here. I apologize yeah. for not introducing her. Yeah, she is here. Well, it, it's it's also like the, the Thanksgiving in Virginia was centered around prayer. It wasn't centered around like a feast. Well, um, they didn't really have a whole lot they, of food. They, yeah. They, well, they, they've talked about because obviously we... we Talk a lot about the Thanksgiving up in Plymouth, and, and which happened what about twenty years after this one? Oh yeah, it was like it was well 20. into like the the second or or the the first or second decade after the turn of the the century. Yeah, so if you want a truly authentic Thanksgiving dinner, they they uh, they speculate that it probably would have been like ships rations, um, ham, fish. ham, and oysters. Really, yeah. Yeah. Sea, oysters. seafood related stuff. Well, I was reading cod and like. Several other types of fish as well. That makes sense too. To, to wrap this out, Christian, to make sure I'm on the same page, the colonists that turned around were successful because they now had private property rights. Yeah. And they were instructed to grow your own food, manage your own property, and be responsible for your own well being and your family's well being. Am I correct in thinking that that was the key to the colony's success? Yes, that was the huge difference because before there was no property rights and everything was collectively owned by the colonists in the trust of the Virginia company that had set up the colony. And that had failed miserably because nobody had an incentive to work harder than anybody else because okay. you all got fed the same. Yeah. And so why why am I going to do you know six hours of backbreaking work if somebody else is only going to do two hours of backbreaking work? It's amazing work? how ownership, having just having skin in the game can mm-hmm. change your entire and perspective. And that's, that's, that's what made Dale so successful as a governor because he realized that you've got to give these people a motivation to do more. Yeah. And the only way you're going to give them motivation is if you tell them you will succeed and yeah. thrive if you do more. And a lot of those families that were the ones that were given those three plots of land became like they they were the ones who became like the leaders of the Virginia yeah. colony when it became a, a royal chartered colony in the 1620s. Like they were the the political leaders of it going forward. Well, you said give motivation, and I don't think you're incorrect, but I I think the unleashing 
motivation. The motivation was there, but it was restricted. Yeah. And then they were given private property rights and the motivation was unleashed well, and they started growing their own food. I, I totally agree with that. I, I think the other I think the other thing that gets missed is a lot of people will look at the story and be like, well, the reason why it failed is because they were greedy. Or the reason why it failed is because, you know, they, they were just the wrong sort of people. And and that's always a very convenient <laughs> that's always a, a very convenient way to look over the perverse or overlook the perverse perverse incentive structure that's created. Because let's say you had a let's say you had a colony with 90%, you know, good, hardworking, altruistic people that, you know, just wanted the, the colony to thrive and no personal ambition whatsoever. Well, that means you have 10% of the colonists that didn't want to do that. And so now they're reaping the benefit of other people's labor. How long before out of that 90% that had good altruistic intentions and knew what they're, how long before they're like, wow, what am I, like, I'm working really hard and this person isn't doing anything. Right. So the, the problem with that whole mindset that really what was needed was just better people. Well, is there uh, evidence and, of disputes to that? Nature? Well, I'm sure there I'm, I'm sure there is. I don't have them off the top of my head. The, the, the point that I'm trying to make, though, is that the reason why that sort of incentive structure is doomed to failure is because it takes relatively few people that don't have good intentions to screw it up for everybody wow. else. And over time, what happens is people become demoralized because no matter how hard they work and no matter how altruistic they are they're suffering as a result of a bad system mm -hmm. by the, now the reverse is true when you say, Hey, here's your property. You're responsible for it. You're not responsible for anybody else. What ends up happening in those situations is people that people that want to goof off are, are no longer, can no longer take from other people to get what they want. They're going to go hungry. And then what ends up happening is the people that are working hard, but then fall on rough times. There's already a baked in incentive for other people to come and voluntarily assist them. And now that there's actually abundance to assist other people from, because typically when you say, hey, not only can I feed myself, but I can I can do more in order to sell or to trade or to have on store. And then what ends up happening is, that, again, that natural incentive is, okay, yeah, you're hurting. I want to help you because I know you're a good person and you're working hard. And I would certainly want to foster a good relationship because I could find myself in a similar situation and I would want someone to help me. So the incentive structure, it, it's not just that one practically works better because people are naturally you know, greedy and mean. It's one incentivizes people to do the right thing and the other incentivizes people to do the wrong thing. Well, and then trade develops. At, yes. You know, when when one person gets just really good at one thing, Special. they can specialize and then yeah. somebody else may want what they have, but they're really good at this other thing yeah. and they can trade. Well, speak, well, first of all, Christian, thank you for doing the uh, the yeah. research on this. By the uh, way, if there's um any series of, of like books or whatnot that you might want to um, read, you know, in order to learn a little bit more about this, there's actually a lot of books that were published by, um, Philip Bruce, who was a, um, professor, I guess about a hundred years ago, I think at the university of Virginia, he's probably considered like the, the authoritative resource on the history of Virginia. He died in 1933 in Charlottesville, but, um, the stuff that he wrote in the early 20th century about like the founding of Jamestown at the beginning of Virginia actually carried a lot of weight in terms of like making this argument that I think has been forgotten for so long about how property rights saved the, the colony of Virginia from from complete extermination. Um, now, of course, there's going to be people out there on the left that might say, look, 
the reason that collectivize, you know, the, the collectivization of agriculture failed in Jamestown was because of the CIA. But um, <laughs> <laughs> that does seem to be the that culprit. That is the argument that you hear everybody. all the time yeah. in the, in the 20 or maybe <laughs> aliens. I, I, I love, I like genuinely, if you go on certain places on the internet, like Reddit or Twitter, like there are groups of people on the left who will say, the reason collectivization failed in the Soviet Union or China or Cuba or any South American country or African country uh, country is because the CIA stopped it from happening. <laughs> Whenever that happens, you can point to the existence of the Jamestown colony and be like, really? So you're also going to say that the CIA is the reason that collectivization failed in Jamestown? Like it, it's proof that that <laughs> this ideology, which existed even before Marx wrote it down, this ideology just does not work. It doesn't matter the context or the era or the people implementing it. The ideology is the problem, not the way that it's trying to be implemented. So this Thanksgiving, you should thank God for private property rights. (laughs) All right. So we're going to do, we're going to go into our second segment here. And um, everybody at the table was instructed to bring some sort of fun, quirky, strange, interesting fact about their Thanksgiving could be a tradition could be a particular type of food item that must be there it could be I don't know something along those lines but everybody was responsible for one and so now it's just a question of where do we start I think I'm going to start with Hamilton oh wow oh yeah (laughs) well uh, today uh, on this episode of making the argument I'm going to either bring many fans into my corner or not um, even at this table, there is a major disagreement yeah. about this dish. It's true. Now, I believe that the disagreement stems from where we are all from. Now, y'all Californians, you know. Oh, oh wow. um, you had to wow. go there. Speak for yourself. I'm <laughs> now. Now, I'm not talking about Christian or Lydia. I'm just talking we about Freitas. We escaped that. <laughs> but still, that history uh, is definitely influencing your opinion on this dish. Oh. Now, if this dish is not at Thanksgiving every year, I, I am very disappointed. Now, this is a dish that my grandmother and my mom both make very well. And it's a memorable dish, okay? Now, like I said, I'm about to I'm about to put we'll it see. out there and you know some some of our family. some of our listeners It's pineapple will, on pizza. No, 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 no pineapple on pizza. It is though. A sweet potato casserole with marshmallows on top. Oh, and I tell you it is just I like about the most immaculate, sweet dish with the crust on top that... Like brown sugar inside? Brown sugar. Oh, I love that. We it's call just, them candied yams, Okay. Though. Thank you, Tina. You're on my team. Nick, you're not on my no, team. Totally Christian, what, no, what, what are no, your thoughts no, here? No, 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 no. Look, okay. Hold, hold on. We were going to go to... Christian's not on my team. Lydia, where do you stand? I love them. I appreciate okay, them. Okay, good. Them. I've yeah. got two people against two people. Yeah. <laughs> it's the only dessert you can put on your plate at the same time you're eating everything else. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, they, like it, it sounded great until you threw out the word sweet potatoes. I can't stand <laughs> sweet potatoes. I hate sweet potatoes so much that um, when when we finally get Nick elected president of the United States, I'm going to run for his delegate seat on a platform of outlawing the existence of sweet potatoes in the wow. Commonwealth of Virginia. I don't think you're going to get anywhere. <laughs> you know, part, part of the problem with sweet potatoes is they're liars because they're not potatoes. Well, but they are sweet. They're a tuber. They are sweet. That's right. Are they actually like legitimately not? They're, no, they potato? are not a potato. Just they're like peanuts aren't in that. They, they're a legume. They, yeah, they, they. Look like a potato, so they call them sweet potatoes, but they're a tuber. Potatoes are actually part of the nightshade family. 
one oh, with tomatoes. Okay They're poisonous. No. <laughs> yeah, they can be actually. Yeah, they're totally yeah, depending poison. on uh -huh. Especially when you turn them into vodka. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's when they're delicious. <laughs> they, so like why why do you really like like sweet potatoes so much? My, my, That's a southern thing because my yeah. my mom's family's from Alabama and they uh, like the, there's there's certain types of dishes that are like southern cultural dishes yeah. and I'm like the black sheep in the family at least on my mother's side because they're all from the deep south and I don't have the accent and I don't like some of the dishes that they make and I just I I've have never a theory for that it. sure okay Hamilton do you have a sweet tooth um I have a sweet and savory tooth okay you like sweet and savory together yeah. Christian do you like sweet and savory together not no. unless it's like uh, what was that sweet Chinese sour chicken food. Chinese you, Chinese food. The Chinese for me are the only ones that get the sweet. So Christian, savory you typically will like if you have a Anything. choice between yes. a savory dish and a sweet dish. I'll choose one or the other, but, but not together. I usually don't like to put them. together. I love them together. Uh. Okay. All righty. Well, that was that was interesting. That yeah. was interesting. Now we know how where about, everyone stands. How about Alrighty. Lydia next? All right, Lydia, go ahead. What's yours? Massachusetts with your oh. fake first name. <laughs> Clam <Thanksgiving>. chowder. That's <laughs> a, <laughs> I know. Massachusetts, nothing but liars. What can I say? <laughs> no, um, I'm, I'm initially from Colorado, so we didn't have any like firmly set Thanksgiving traditions. So you like pot for Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah, I know. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly what the case was. 100%. Um, my my tradition was kind of that I would make the Thanksgiving meal for everybody and I had a pretty big family so it was quite the task but I really liked it. Now that I'm married I have to make a whole bunch of new traditions and find out what my in-laws do for their traditions as well so I'm excited for it. I just don't have anything yet. Um, I do love to bake and cook so I'll probably be making all that stuff and of course my husband loves stuffing so we'll we'll get along just fine I'm sure when it comes to Thanksgiving stuff. So you used to cook the whole meal. You cooked the meal for the whole family. Yep. I wow. thought it was super fun. I did the whole thing. And uh, it was really challenging, but I had a great time. And it taught me how to, like, use my time properly so what, I get everything done. What were the, the most challenging so dishes you made? The turkey was always kind of challenging because you don't usually cook a bird that big. Um, sometimes we would do smaller, like, Cornish game heads oh, or whatever. Yeah. That was really fun, too. They're easier to keep track of. Those big birds are hard to handle, which I guess the economy is taking care of us this year. <laughs> as far as a big bird, it's going to be a lot smaller. But, yeah, so I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm looking forward to making some. We just don't have any yet. Um, my husband loves you guys, uh, Nick and Tina. He loves your tradition, and oh. he thinks that we should adopt that, too. <laughs> I, I, one second. Don't give it away. Before we get to it, before we get to it um, <laughs> Lydia, you said that you liked baking. Like, What's your favorite thing to cook or, or bake or prepare in general? Oh, I used to really like making cookies. I used to make a really mean ginger snap. Ooh. Now that I eat a lot lower carb, I don't make much of that anymore. I might have to do that over Christmas. That's my plan. Yeah. I like to bake sweets. That's fun. It's like the cheese season. That sounds like fun. <laughs> yeah. I've only recently I'm got great. around into like cooking <laughs> yeah. in general. Um, actually, y'all y'all kind of know about this because you yeah. all had my my buffalo chicken mac. That's, that's really right. really good. Um, nice. So it's only been like within the past like six months or so that I've really like actively started cooking all the time, like fun. at least once a week. And it's actually really, really fun. Yeah. Speaking, speaking of traditions, cause I want us to get to yours at the very end. Cause okay. I actually really like yours on my end. I don't have like a particular dish, but it might be this bubble of chicken Mac. This will be the first year that <laughs> are you going to make that for Thanksgiving? I, I, so like I'm going down to, I mean the, the tradition outside of food is that every year I um, go back and forth between either 
Florida or South Carolina for at least one of Thanksgiving or Christmas. I yeah. alternate back and forth. So last year I was in Florida for Christmas. This year I'll be in South Carolina for Thanksgiving. I've got family on my dad's side that live in both places. Yeah. My dad lives on Hilton Head Island. The entire rest of my family lives in um, in Palm Beach County in Florida, which went red this year for DeSantis. <laughs> but um, uh, so that's kind of the tradition for me is just I drive down to either Florida or, well, okay, I I'm now trying to fly down to Florida when I go down there because that's a long drive. I've made it before. But um, in terms of like cooking, I don't really necessarily have a tradition, but I'm going to try to make this buffalo chicken mac the the tradition. This will be the first year that I'm going to make it for my dad's family in South Carolina. Um, I only recently discovered how to make it a few months ago, and I've made it like – Probably four or five times. It's I really can good. attest it, it is fantastic. Getting keeps getting better. It keeps getting better. I'm I'm trying to do some experimentation with it. And you you could have told us that actually at Jamestown what they had was buffalo chicken mac. <laughs> original recipe original from sixteen ten. Um, <laughs> so like we'll see if that becomes a tradition on my end. Yeah. Um, at least for myself, like you know, that. because the years that I'll be here in Virginia, I'll I'll probably try to make it for my mom's side of the family here in Virginia, but. Um, yeah, well, the jury's out on whether or not that will be a tradition, but um, outside of that, like the tradition for me is more who I'm spending the time with rather than what we're necessarily eating, right? I think it's- the traditions kind of develop too over time because when you make something and everyone loves it and they want, they ask you if it's going to be yeah. there the next time and then the next time and then it just yeah. kind of develops well, itself. And to, to your point, like Tina and I had a similar experience. I'm going to let Tina tell the story, but Tina and I had a similar ex- experience because my parents got divorced, remarried. Tina's parents got divorced, remarried, but all of them lived within 15 miles of each other. Yep. And so when we would come home from the military for Christmas, it was like turkey, turkey, turkey. My dad would mix it up sometimes and maybe do like a tri-tip or something like that. But we there was just a ton of turkey until one year. So much turkey. We had four Thanksgivings to go to in a row, back to back. All in one day? Because they live so close to each other, you you had no excuse to not go to all of them. You're going to all of them. So (laughs) we didn't live there. We were there visiting. So you had to go to every single one because we've never, in our adult lives, um, once we left California, we've never lived there again. Um, And we left California at 19 and 20. So um, we've never lived there again. We would go for like a prolonged, uh, visit and there would be four Thanksgivings that we had to do and they were on separate days. So each family got their day. And so my mom had the final day and we were just like, by then it's like, you're just going to need to roll me to the next one. Cause it's, <laughs> we're just, there so much Turkey. And, and then by then you're like comparing like this person's gravy is flavorless and this person <laughs> has lumpy mashed potatoes. And she's, I really she's not like, talking about any of my family. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> and I mean, like, I know why Nick doesn't like stuffing now, you know, um, <laughs> oh, okay. I just, that was, my I family. mean, yeah, uh, I love Grandma B, but that stuffing wasn't very Stuffing good. was not Grandma no. B's thing. Grandma B's thing was baking and cookies. Cookies. Yeah. It was cookies. But anyway, um, so just Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving. And like we were just, ugh. and my mom goes, hey, I have this idea for Thanksgiving for our Thanksgiving. She goes, I think you guys will probably be really sick of turkey and everything else. Um, so I think I'm going to do something a little different this time. So we show up and she had hired, my parents had a coffee shop. They had closed down the coffee shop for that and hosted, um, you know, this big Thanksgiving for the family. And they had hired a sushi don to come and roll sushi for us. 
And it was such like, it was such a breath of fresh air. You know, you didn't feel too full afterwards. It was just amazing. And we love sushi. I love raw fish. And I could make the argument that that is actually in keeping with what they had fish. And what did you say? Christopher Columbus thought he was going to land at Japan. So, (laughs) I mean, I'm making the connection here somehow. Oh yeah. Okay. So, uh, we kind of, so that's when sushi Thanksgiving was born and, since then, we uh, like we we came home. We did our own Thanksgiving that was like traditional, and we both kind of looked at each other and we're like, "We should do sushi Thanksgiving next year." And we invited some friends and uh, family, and I learned how to roll sushi, and then I ended up becoming bestest buds with my friend Susie Clancy who um, then comes over and rolls sushi with me. And now sushi, uh, Susie, sorry, is <laughs> like, she had this moment in her life where all of a sudden her body decided to be allergic to everything. And so she was allergic to gluten. She was allergic to corn sorry. and all this stuff that you would find on a, on a Thanksgiving table, pretty much um, a lot of that stuff. And so sushi was like, it, it was like opened up the world for her too. And so our two families have done sushi Thanksgiving together with an influx of other people coming and going ever since. And so I think this year might be our 10th annual sushi Thanksgiving. And we always have this gorgeous, gorgeous spread of sushi. And I'll send you a picture so you can link, like put it up. Um, Well, the wonderful thing about the wonderful thing about sushi too, is that you, you can eat a ton of it and you'll, you'll be full, but you don't feel like, Crap. Like you have yep. to take a nap. Yeah. And, yeah. and we always, since we don't live near our family, um, we always have friends over and people who we've had campaign staff before that couldn't go home for Thanksgiving. So we had them at our house and yeah. we've had various friends come for it. And it's just, it's a wonderful time. It's still Thanksgiving. It's just a totally different tradition. And we bring in the TV and the TV's on in the <laughs> dining room and we have samurai movies. Um, I love it. Okay. Uh, San, I love the sushi that y'all make too. Yeah, it's been I gotta, a San, year since I've been. Sanjiro and Yojimbo yeah. are my two favorites. Because they're based off of, well, sorry, Clint Eastwood movies, Fistful of Dollars and A Few Dollars More, I think it's those two, are based off of, Yojimbo and Sanjuro. It's they're great. They're yeah. fantastic. Um, the actor in it is basically the Japanese version of Clint Eastwood, uh, but he did it first. So really, Clint Eastwood was the one the copying, I guess. Yeah. Um, so it was fantastic. And then after that, like any friends that we had that hate sushi, we would invite them over for pie and poker afterwards. And pie and poker has has been a thing ever since our military days. Like that's actually the longest standing tradition. And I have a giant round table that's seven feet across round. And I, it's large. Yeah. I make a, um, a felt cover that fits like a fitted sheet and it becomes our poker table and we do Texas Hold'em and, uh, it's just, it's just $5 buy-in and it's nickel dime quarter. And, uh, it's a lot of fun and we have lots and lots of pies and my favorite pie is pecan. But, uh, pecan pie. Yeah, well, and so pie, my favorite pie is cherry. The the but the pie tradition kind of started with when we were in the. Well, I guess I think your folks, your mom. I don't know. When when we were in the military, obviously we had a lot of friends uh, in the service that either weren't going home for the holidays, um, or you had to pick one. Right, you were either going home for Thanksgiving or you're going home for Christmas. You weren't going home for both. And so we we had a lot of people that 
they just couldn't travel. They couldn't go. They didn't have anywhere to go on Thanksgiving. And uh, Tina was always very insistent that people are not like none of our friends are going to sit in the barracks on Thanksgiving or go to the chow hall. Even though I will say military chow halls, they really pull out all the stops on Thanksgiving. Really? Yeah, they do. Um, but that, that wasn't going to happen. They were going to have a place to go and, and whatnot. We wanted and, to give them a family environment. Yeah. And Tina's big thing was what what's their favorite pie? And so I can remember Thanksgivings where not only was, and this was like, I cook a little bit more now. I didn't cook at all then. Like I would do the microwave popcorn. I could do that. That was it. <laughs> um, so Tina's there like double ovens and she's cooking all of Thanksgiving with maybe with some help, usually not. And, um, but her commitment to all of the guys I was on a team with or a platoon with or whatnot was they would each get a pie because Pie was something oh, that yeah. we associate with Thanksgiving. You associate with home. And it was associate. their favorite pie. I would bake it yeah, and they it was, got to take it home. It was their favorite pie. So like I'm I'm going around the team room like, all right, dude, you're coming over. Yeah. What's your favorite pie? And one and, and year it, I made 13 pies. Yeah. Like, that was, and, it, and it's not like everybody chose wow. apple, right? Like some people <laughs> had like, I want lemon meringue. I want cherry. I want apple. I want, you know, some crazy mm -hmm. thing. Tina would figure it out, cook it, and they would. That was their pie to take home with them too. It works though because my yeah. great grandma's recipe is what I use for my pie crust, pie crust and mm -hmm. it is a twelve crust recipe. And twelve crust, yeah, it's a twelve pie crust recipe. And and wow. now that now each one like some of those would some pies take two crusts because you've got your bottom and your top. Uh. But other ones are open on top, and so anyway, um, so I would like do two big batches of that and. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone, so, so that was their, that pie. Was their tradition. I've always sure. done pie. And now my daughters love to do pie. So what's yeah. your favorite type of pie? Nick said it was cherry. cherry. Mine's pecan. Lydia, what's yours? Oh, I think mine is probably blueberry. Ooh, mm, that's a good choice. I can't get into My friend Susie makes a blue <laughs> lemon blueberry pie. Really? That one is good. good. Yeah. I, gotta yeah, try that that one. I like pumpkin pie a lot. I like pumpkin, pumpkin pie too. I like blueberry yeah. pie as well. I hate pumpkin I pie. I like pumpkin pie one day out of the year and it's Thanksgiving and I don't know why. Same. But that, the that, only that, way to eat pumpkin pie is to take like a tiny little square or tiny little sliver, put it on your plate and then cover your entire plate with whipped cream and then it's okay. I can okay, handle here's it. Here's a controversial one. What if I told you I don't really like whipped cream? Ooh, I, I don't I've know if it's controversial as much as it is you're just wrong. You're just yeah. wrong. <laughs> just weird. Whipped cream? Uh, no, yeah. I, there's so many things I don't like, like this goodness. where it's like. Like I would understand <laughs> if you were like, well, my family only eats Cool Whip and I don't like Cool Whip. But like real whipped cream you don't like? There, I, There's so many of these like things that, that everybody that I know loves and I'm just not a huge fan of. Like I don't like chocolate ice cream. I don't really That's like whipped cream. I mean, my mother will tell you that like Christian didn't like birthday cake until he was five. I'm um, not a huge so, fan of cake either. I, it's just, I mean, I'm not really actually, well, honestly, I I, I'll eat cake, but like it's, it's just too sugary. Oh my sugary. gosh, a German chocolate cake. I will just do It's gotta be like a certain that. type of cake because like certain types of icing, like there's yeah, just too the icing, icing makes overload. It well, and then yeah, it's if like, you're getting cake at Walmart. I mean, and, then it, okay. and then it's got this like film feel to it when you're Dude, done you're, eating you're it. you're doing too much artificial crap. That's <laughs> yeah. the problem. That's, like, see, I got, I got spoiled because the other thing, Tina's really big on, like she'll make like her mayonnaise and uh -huh. her I make like, things from scratch. And her whipped cream and everything else. And so- like I, what what goes into mayonnaise? Eggs, oil, and then you've got vinegar and like a Dijon mustard or whatever. You when you base. when you watch when you watch mayonnaise being made, you're like, I should not be eating that. Yeah, it's a lot of oil, so much oil. Yeah, um, but 
It's delicious. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of people I know like grew up hating mayonnaise and it's because in their family, Miracle Whip was mayonnaise. Oh my gosh. Don't even get me started. If if there was something I hate. She loves Miracle Whip. New England. (laughs) Oh no, no, you're Colorado. Oh my gosh, that makes no sense. No, if there was one thing that is worse than pineapple on pizza, it is flipping Miracle Whip. Mm. Oh my gosh. Right, Miracle God. Whip. Miracle Whip is a. It, it was part of the. Actually, I think it was part of the fall. I think it was part of the fall. I think, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. 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 Like Eve ate the apple, and God was like, "You will spend the rest of your life toiling." And here's Miracle, Miracle Whip. Whip to top it off. Yeah. All right. Oh, I think it's a lot like cilantro. Like you either love it or you hate it. Like to some people, cilantro tastes like soap, and then other people yeah. love it. It's their favorite thing in Mexican food, and then, um, or even Thai food, and then uh, like. Miracle Whip, people either absolutely love it or they hate it. The, the f- My grandma used to serve it. That was why. Oh, memories. Yeah, it's amazing yeah. how memories attached to something will make you love it. Or yeah. hate something. Yeah. Oh, that's or true. Hate or hate it. Yeah. The fact that one of my best friends on the planet loves Miracle Whip and is consistently trying to it, it's, he's, he's trying, trying to, to recruit get my, our He's trying kids. to get my kids to like it. Like he'll he'll put it on a sandwich. I tell him like, how do you like that mayonnaise on that sandwich? Sneaky. It's Miracle Whip. <laughs> Although I have a friend who she's coming to the Thanksgiving, by the way, the, who they moved to Florida and I'm, we were very sad. It was Jim and Jane Charlton. Yeah. We love them. But anyway, they're going to be here. And uh, I had put out there that I hated Miracle Whip. And she goes, well, I guess you don't like my broccoli salad then. And she makes this broccoli salad that's That's amazing. And I had no idea Miracle Whip was in it. And now that I do, I'm like, (gasps) you almost feel a little betrayed. Like I I thought I didn't like Miracle Whip, but apparently in some context, it's good. Oh, speaking of broccoli, one of the few casseroles that I like is the um, uh, broccoli and cheese with chicken casserole. That's that is bad. like I, I'm. I'm usually not a fan of casseroles. I'm not at all, a casserole guy. That is like one that that if somebody serves that for Thanksgiving, that's usually something that I will only get here in Virginia, not in South Carolina. But like that is delicious. Yeah, I have well, to the, throw the, the, out there that um, we do our sushi Thanksgiving, but for everybody that doesn't like sushi, I also make what my kids call chikiyaki. Um, It's I make chicken teriyaki from scratch. I I make my sauce from scratch, and it's. Yeah. Really, really, oh, really good. Like you have it, got to share yeah. me this recipe on how to yeah. do this. It is good. It is. I mean, it's brown sugar, soy sauce, mirin, and uh, pineapple juice. Okay. I'm so hungry. We're going to ignore <laughs> that last point, <laughs> but I'm sure we could still make it even without that. No, right? no, no. no. You, you can't. It. You it's, can't got the right, it's got the right sugar yeah. and tang it's, to it. It adds got, the acidity it. that it needs. You can't even tell it's in there. It's just... That's and it's so good. And so I have Nick clean up the chicken thighs for me because we yeah. do chicken thighs and we cut them thighs. into like one inch squares. Yeah. And then I cook them up and I pour the sauce over it and caramelize it over them. And then that gets served over top of the rice. By the way, I know we're coming up at the end here. There's one little tip I want to give to parents out there for anybody that's now questioning um, Tina's and my dedication to, you know, um, Americana and patriotism because we have sushi Thanksgiving. <laughs> Every parent knows, except for maybe, I don't know, woke, angry ones. One of the one of the joys of being a parent is when you give your young child a lemon for the first time. <laughs> and you watch and you watch that I know re- where this is that going. reaction combined with utter betrayal. Right? Yeah. Now, when they get a little bit older and now they're like, you know, 10, 11, 12, imagine doing that 
but with wasabi. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh no. Did you do that to your kids? Yes, One year we did what we, we did. That we did what we kids. called sushi roulette, and we didn't yeah. tell people which ones were spicy and which ones weren't. We had that a special was... plate, and two people had each person had to take a piece of sushi, and they both had to eat it. It might have had a ton of wasabi. It might have had none, but both of them had to keep a straight face. Oh, you had to guess which one had it. Our kids loved it, though. Now They all love sushi now, so now they like the wasabi. Oh, one year I decided, oh, we're going to do regular Thanksgiving this year. Let's just go ahead. And it was just so catastrophic. My family was just like, why are we doing this? And I said, okay, I will never stray again. We will do sushi Thanksgiving Till eternity. This I don't is just know. Our Tina, thing. Tina's going to have to decide whether or not the Andersons are going to be down with that. Her hey, boyfriend, her that. boyfriend, not, I, a, not I a huge sushi. Not, not, he likes sushi. Not Tina's boyfriend, your daughter's boyfriend. Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Sorry. So, You're my boyfriend. Li- yeah, yeah. So Lily's next year I'll to... be here in Virginia for Thanksgiving next year. Cause I'll be in, um, in either Florida or South Carolina for Christmas. Sushi yeah. I'll, I'll come over for, for sushi <laughs> Thanksgiving. He's, he's but like, you've got to share with me. Some of these. You have come early. like, I think you came one year mm-hmm. after yeah. your Thanksgiving for poker you and you had it. some of our, I did have some, sushi. It's, I, I love uh, like, especially because a lot of our um, audience members are, are listening and not watching it. And even if they were watching it, it's not like we have the sushi on the table right now, but like it is the most colorful, yeah. like Instagram worthy. It's beautiful dish that I've ever seen in Hamilton. I don't think you've actually ever seen mm. it in person. It yeah. is. It's this giant table um, with like How many hundreds pieces of pieces, of hundreds. Hundreds, hundreds and hundreds. Uh, Susie oh always goodness. makes like the, the normal well, roll. Well, because we have then, like 20, 16. Yeah. 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 I see, that's a sight to and see. You're not, you're not making two pieces of sushi per person. No. You're making enough for, for you to be full. It's pretty much enough yeah. for every person to eat two or three rolls. Whole rolls. Now I make the inside out rolls where you've got the avocado and the fish laying over it and the sauce is drizzled and it looks all beautiful. Um, And then Susie makes the right side in like normal rolls and those are beautiful. And she's really good at plating everything and making it gorgeous. And you, you just get so much variety. Um, the only thing I'm not comfortable with is tempura, but it doesn't matter to us because neither of us like fried sushi. We like our sushi raw, like it's supposed to be. Yeah. yeah. And so the That's but, a southern thing. Is that raw fish? Can I fry it? Well, we'll add like the panko, we'll add the panko flakes over it to give some crunch, but that's about it. But um oh yeah, it's you've got ahi and oh. you've got um salmon and various other ones. You've got the eel. It's it's beautiful. It's All right. So, good. listen everyone, if you are in favor of sweet potato casserole, I need your support. <laughs> I I need you to go to volley and let me know that you are with me on this. Yeah. And let us know who to block. Cause (laughs) (laughs) out yourselves as enemies of the making the argument show. Um, (laughs) No, no, listen, listen, I know everybody, look, we, we hope we, we thought what this was going to be like a 30 minute episode. Um, Listen, we hope you all to, to everybody on our volley chat, to all of our, our listeners and subscribers, we really do pray that you all have a great, a safe, a great time with your family. This Thanksgiving. We can't thank you uh, enough. I tell you, we're all very, very thankful that you take the time, uh, you know, a couple times a week to spend an hour with us as we uh, ramble on about topics that are important to us. And we certainly hope are important to you as well. Please have a great Thanksgiving with your family. And we look forward to seeing you after the holiday.